Welcome to The Weekly. My name is Trevor. I am one of the pastors at the Church of Greer Station and your host. The Weekly is a 20-minute podcast devoted to books, current events, and issues relevant to the life of our church. Now, it's difficult to think of something more relevant to our church, and any church for that matter, than smartphones. Smartphones are ubiquitous. I'm, I'm fairly certain that every person I know, with maybe the exception of one of my grandparents, has a smartphone. But what is that doing to us? What is it doing to us as individuals, as churches, and as a society? That's what author Tony Ranke is after in his book, 12 Ways Our Phones Are Changing Us. Last week, in part one of this conversation, we saw that our phones are making us addicted to distraction. They're causing us to ignore our flesh and blood. They make us crave immediate approval. And as a result of being addicted to our phones, we lose our literacy. If you haven't listened to part one of that conversation, go and do so now. Today, I pick up the conversation with John around this book with four more ways our phone is changing us. I hope you enjoy. John, how are you today? Good, man. How are you? I'm good. What you been up to today? What you working on? I've been working on a a devotional that I'll be giving at the soup kitchen tomorrow. Okay. I'm just checking some emails and had teaching team this morning. What do you do? What's the devotional? What are you doing that on? We're going to be in Psalm 16, um, verses 5 and 6. Okay. Lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Have a beautiful inheritance. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Um, I asked my community group this question this week. Um, what 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 is your worst dream that you can recall ever having? Hmm. I've had a lot of weird dreams, but the one I had this morning <laughs> was pretty bad, where I dreamed that I wrote something for the church, and Josh Stiles gave me a negative 111 <laughs> as a grade and kicked me out of the church for being so bad at writing. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds a lot like something Josh would do. <laughs> it was so sure. realistic that... <laughs> Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, welcome to part two of our summary and reflections of 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Ranke. Um, we're just going to go ahead and get started. We're going to go ahead and get rolling. Uh, so the fifth way that he lists that our phones are changing us is that he says we feed on the produced. Um, he, so he opens this chapter with an example of a, a photo, I think it was the Boston Globe at the premiere of a Johnny Depp movie. Um, one photographer decided to take a picture of the crowd who was watching this moment unfold. You know, Johnny Depp, the actor, you know, making his way down the red carpet. And the thing that the photographer captured was a crowd full of people, all uh, as excited as could be, holding up their phones, ready to take a picture of Johnny Depp as he could, as, as he walked by. Um, and then one elderly lady, this this one woman who, with kind of a, a half smile and her arms folded, just contentedly kind of staring uh, in the direction of Johnny Depp. Um, he opens opens up with this example and says that we have lost the ability to be like this lady in this picture. That everything now must be experienced through our phone. So. What does he mean when he says that we feed on the produce? What What is he intending to say with this example? And ultimately, why is that a troublesome change? Yeah, um, he's talking a lot about how just the, the nature of what, the way social media works um, and the way that, that our, our communications through our phones works is usually us presenting a moment, um, presenting something about our, um, our experiences or the things that we're going through. Um, and then on the other side of that, we're, we're kind of feeding on the things that other people are producing. So we're kind of made just constant content generators and constant content consumers. And he says that the danger of that is it kind of undermines our ability to just enjoy the moment um, and ultimately to enjoy the, the just creation that God has made 
Um, and it kind of causes us to forget that all things were made by God um, and for God so that when we see the world, see the things around us, they're supposed to point us back to God instead of just pointing us at each other. That's really good. I, I'm going to resist the temptation to, to reference the great divorce <clears throat> several times. Today, I'm in, in the middle of reading The Great Divorce, and if, you, if you've never read it or don't know what it is, it's, it's kind of like if you took uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol and mixed it with Pilgrim's Progress um, and kind of made it an exploration of good and evil kind of through the lens of this parabolic portrayal of, of heaven and hell. Uh, anyway, it, the, the, the kind of premise of the book is that um, folks, wake up, folks who wake up in hell are greeted with this bus that periodically takes them to heaven. And if they want to, they can stay in heaven. But the tragedy is, is no one wants to stay in heaven because that's where good dwells and, and people exhibit too much pride or, or um, uh, too much cynicism to actually enter into heaven. And, and, you know, Lewis is using this as a way to just kind of dissect the human heart. And one of the things he's so good at is dissecting the human heart. Anyway, he's, he's got this one little scene where a painter gets to heaven and heaven is portrayed as being this place that is just so potent and real um, where uh, everything is so potent that it, it makes the citizens of hell look translucent um, like they, they look like shadows there in, in the, the the real uh, world of heaven kind of the new heavens and the new earth then this artist arrives in heaven and the artist is kind of scrambling to find his painting stuff and this angel who's with him is like no you, like you don't understand you don't need to paint here anymore and he's like no i need to paint this this is such a beautiful sunset i need to paint this sunset and, and the guy says no don't paint the sunset just look at the sunset and the artist can't wrap his mind around just wanting to look at the sunset and see it as it is uh, and it reminded me of this chapter because that's i think in a lot of ways what one of the points that that Renke is making right like we, we, we've kind of lost the ability to just look at the sunset and enjoy the sunset. Instead, immediately we see it and we want to grab our phones and catalog it to gather likes or commemorate the moment and just kind of lose our ability to be in the moment and enjoy it. Um, so why is this troubling? Like why, why would this be a, if, if this pattern kind of continued and we continually fed on the produce, why would this ultimately be a, a change that we would not want to welcome? He talks about how it um, kind of makes us forget our smallness overall hmm. in the world. It just makes us think that we are um, kind of big and pretty significant, especially as, as we get more, more feedback from other folks. Um, and, and he suggests that, that every time we do this, we might be just kind of feeding this fear in us um, that this moment might be our last like shot at being... Uh, celebrated or applauded hmm. it might be our last moment um of greatness and the danger of that is that over time as we just do that you know again and again you know maybe not even thinking about it it just begins to change the way that we just see everything in our world the way we understand the, the people and the places that we're put around uh, he says that we pretty much turn ourselves and then all of our surroundings into actors Mm. Uh, on, on a stage that's just constantly seeking approval. Mm. And when that's compared to the way that we're created to exist in the world, I mean, that, that is, that's like a shadow compared to what we, mm. what we are really made to, to live for. 
That's good. There's a quote in there about trading our present for someone else's past moments. Like, that's, you know, he talks about how we get sucked into our phones instead of being present with our families or present. Um, yeah. In the face of, you know, enjoying some kind of wonderful experience. Instead, we're, we're scrolling through Instagram and we're trading the beauty that's offered us in the present in these small moments for someone else's past moments that they cataloged. And I thought that was a really, yeah. I mean, what, what, what a picture of just discontent. You yeah. Know, in a way to just really grow discontent in your life is seeing everyone else having a fantastic, fantastic time while you're just sitting at your aunt Mildred's house, yeah. you know, hmm. smelling her cat couch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Then taking Benadryl <laughs> to counteract the allergic reaction. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's right on. Or, or I think about, um, kind of waking up and, and realizing that I'm playing on my phone and, and just looking at nonsense while my children are clamoring for my attention. And it's mm-hmm. like, I have, I have only a handful of moments with these kids. Judah's only going to be five for one year, you know, and to trade that for mm-hmm. all sorts of gooby social media stuff makes <laughs> no sense. <clears throat> so the, the fifth one was we feed on what's produced. The sixth one is we become what we like. And what does he mean by saying that we become what we like? I think what he's getting at is the kind of the biblical principle that that the things that we devote ourselves to, the things that we put our put our time and effort into, and the the people that we spend our time with, we just kind of naturally drift toward being like that. Um, whatever that thing is that's captiv- captivating us. He opens with the example of uh, Narcissus, the uh, the Greek character who just fell in love with himself staring into um a pool uh and just kind of became trapped you know with his own his own self-love and cursed yeah and cursed right his own self-love yeah um so i think that's i mean that really is kind of a parable for for us right i mean the the things that we spend our time looking at like you're just saying looking at the the kind of kind of pointless um kind of useless trite stuff that that's just so easily available to us that actually begins to make us kind of trite mm. Uh, mm. meaningless and, and useless. ultimately useless mm. um, yeah while you think about the the image of God and the fact that man is called the image of God in Genesis 1 and the idea there is that man is mirrors God to the world and so so man is created to love God and worship God and be in relationship with God and and within that relationship we image god we become like him and we communicate something of him to the world um and so we are we are imaging creatures and so whatever we love and worship and devote ourselves to we're ultimately going to image that we're, we're going to find ourselves reflecting and becoming that mm-hmm. and that's you see that some of those ideas in the psalms like you worship you know brutal malevolent uh bloodthirsty gods you're going to become a malevolent ruthless bloodthirsty people Hmm. but you worship a kind gracious god of steadfast love you will become kind and gracious and and those kind of things Mm -hmm. um so how does this play out in our phones like what what are some ways in which we become what we like in some ways that are unhelpful Hmm. we already kind of talked about a few of those things but another area is that just as we interact with one another online and the way that we communicate with one another online 
begin shaping the way we communicate with one another offline. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can become very cynical, uh, very short, very quick to jump to conclusions about uh, little pictures on screens um, with, with names attached to them. But just the nature of like our human existence is that we then begin to treat the real flesh and blood people around us in that in a, in a really similar way. Mm-hmm. So it begins to shape the way that we even speak with one another. And I think he even mentioned there are some some studies even with just children interacting. Um, you know, children's capabilities of interacting with other individuals just becoming uh, just increasingly. Um, more threatened just as, as technology and as online interaction increases. Hmm. That's good. So uh, the fifth idea we feed on the produce, the sixth idea we become what we like, <clears throat> um, which is a great little play on words there. Um, the seventh idea is that we get lonely. Now that's so, that sounds kind of backwards, um, that we get more lonely because of our phones, because it seems like we are more connected than ever. In a lot of ways, like we are more connected than any people have ever been. But how is it, how is it that we become lonely because of our phones? Uh, it's like one of the great ironies of anything that we, um, anything that's less than God that we seek to fix something broken within us usually just irritates that broken part of us more and more. So, you know, we're given this, this tool or this device that we're told you'll feel connected all the time. But scripture just, you know, tells us anytime you're told something like that, it's probably going to make you worse off than when you started. Mm. And technology just, we see it happen uh, all the time with that. We, like we were talking about, you, you're connected to avatars, you're connected to um, sites and, and uh, pictures and, and all these things, but you're not actually connecting with people. And it's mm. actually um, causing us to be able to disconnect ourselves, like we've kind of talked about several times, but disconnect ourselves from the people around us for people who aren't really around us. Yep. yep. Um, and that's, it just goes against the, our created order. Yeah, he, he, he quotes someone, I don't remember who he quotes, but he says that technology is the story of loneliness desired and achieved. Mm. And he, he kind of talked about how all of our technology seems to be on a trajectory towards like individualization and personalization. Mm-hmm. And he used the example of music. Like it, it, it used to be you would go to a concert hall mm-hmm. and then it kind of progressively ended up in having, you know, headphones, it, you, uh, those white earbuds in your ears all the time with a personally curated playlist. Mm-hmm. And so technology kind of always moving us towards being individualized mm-hmm. and, and ultimately disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a couple of ways that he points out that, that you know, phones uniquely make us lonely is, is he talks about things like small talk in the elevator or the grocery store line. Mm-hmm. Like when was the last time that you standing in the grocery store line talked with, you know, made jokes about what the person was going to cook for dinner and, and made the joke, I, you can invite me over for dinner. I'll help you mm-hmm. eat that. Like we, mm-hmm. we just don't do those kind of right, things anymore yeah, yeah. Yeah. because instead we stand and right. scroll through our phones. Right. And we're kind of put off by that almost. Yeah. Uh, people it's like leave me alone. Us, yeah. Right. I want to scroll. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me real person. Mm-hmm. I want to, critique and be angry mm-hmm. at and love these avatars, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. false representations of, of others. Yeah. Um, something else, another point that he makes that I thought was really helpful was they, uh, uh, the, the folks behind apps, 
and behind our, our smartphones are like highly incentivized for us to be on the phone a lot. Mm-hmm. So they make a lot of money the more that we're on our, on our phones. And so they're, they are not interested in allowing us to pull ourselves away from the phone. So the more that they can kind of tap into this desire to want to pull away from people, the more they will because they recognize like that's how their money is made. And so we are, are disconnected from people by virtue of just kind of being attracted to this glitterly, uh, glittery, glowing device. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> he, he had some really helpful comments about just, you know, watching your disciplines, making sure that you spend your solitude, not with your phone, which is going to carve you out but, and hollow you out, but with the Lord who will, who will fill you. Hmm. Um, so I, I thought that was a really helpful chapter. Yeah. There, there's a lot more that could be said there. Uh, but he says uh, that, that we get lonely. That's one of the ways our phones are ironically changing us. Um, and, and I'm going to reference The Great Divorce again. So something else that's really helpful in that book, just a brilliant little insight. And it's kind of prescient. You know, he, he, Lewis wrote this book in the 40s. And the, the character wakes up in Greytown, which is hell. And it, it's like a, a little downtown, think like downtown Greer that's been abandoned. And he, he asks, you know, where, where is everybody else? And some other guy who happens to be in hell with him says, well, here there's infinite geography and whenever, and we have no need of anyone else. We, we, we have all of our needs met. And so for eternity, we distance ourselves from one another. And so um, the, the two, he talks about two characters going and finding Napoleon and they have to travel for like 15,000 years to finally find Napoleon's house. And when they get there, they find Napoleon pacing the room Napoleon pacing the room, just just complaining and blaming, you know, generals for their, uh, the you know how Waterloo went down. He's he's he spends eternity blaming others and distancing himself from others, and I thought it was kind of brilliant. I mean, in a way, he he foresaw you know suburbs and Amazon Prime and grocery grocery delivery and you know the ability that we have now to completely shut ourselves off from the world. And in Lewis's mind, that might as well be hell. Um, so definitely some things to chew on there. Um, but, but the last thing the, the, that we'll cover, cover today, the uh, eighth way that our phone is changing us is that it says we get, that Ranky says we get comfortable and secret vices. Comfortable and secret vices. Um, what does he mean by that, John? He's, he talks about how, I mean, it's really the secret that, that improved technology just gives us more opportunities to sin so the pro- proliferation of pornography uh, he talks about Ashley Mad- Madison the, the website that was used for uh, finding a, adulterous relationships to be in and he has this, this great line where he says anonymity is where sin flourishes and anonymity is the most pre- pervasive lie of the digital age mm-hmm. so when we think that we're hidden when we think that, we're, that no one's watching us that's when our sinful tendencies tend to come out of us the most. And he says, and technology actually gives us a lie that we are hidden. But then like with the Ashley Madison uh, fiasco that happened a few years ago, uh, thousands, thousands of men had created uh, profiles on this website and then deleted them thinking that, you know, that, that, that's stupid. I'm not going to act on this. And they pretty much just used it for fantasy in some sense. And they thought when they deleted their account that that was gone. But then once hackers got into the databases, not a single person's account had ever been deleted, which is just a, a parable, you know, for our modern age, right? No yeah, and that's really good. Like, for one, anonymity is not a thing because the man is always watching you. Um, uh, 
in all seriousness, you know that 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 is a lie. There is no such thing as as incognito mode. Uh, but even if there were, mm-hmm. there is no such thing as anonymity because all of our ways are known to God, mm-hmm. um, and, and that is a that is a sobering sobering yeah. truth. When yeah. when we can become sort of sucked in by the little glowing rectangle and and believe the lie that we can be isolated and indulge however we desire. And, and he doesn't just mention pornography in the mm-hmm, chapter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He mentions our addiction to, he calls it visual sugar, and just how, how it's making us dumb, just our need for constant entertainment. He talks about um, intense consumption, you know, Amazon Prime. You can, you can order anything that you can possibly imagine and have it on your doorstep in mm-hmm, two days. Mm-hmm. And, and he just says, like, that can, that can be really dangerous for us, mm-hmm. really dangerous for us. Now, uh, next week, John and I are going to conclude the conversation. We're going to hit the last four ways in which our phones are changing us. We hope that this has been useful and challenging, and we hope that it's kind of made you sick with your phone because it's, it's made us sick with our phones. And, and I think there's wisdom in considering how we can take steps regarding some of these things. Um, we hope you continue listening. Uh, please subscribe, share with your friends, and rate us on iTunes. We will talk with you next time. Thanks. Thanks.